On this very special Veterans Day episode of NC Raw, we welcome Brandon Wilson and Ricky Johnson to the podcast. They are both Marine Corps veterans. Brandon is the managing director for the Veterans of the Carolinas with Asheville Buncombe Community Christian Ministry. And he also serves as the network director for an organization called NC Serves. And Ricky is a peer navigator, which is like a peer support specialist for NC Serves and the Asheville Buncombe Community Christian Ministry. He's also a person in long-term recovery. And we just had like a an awesome conversation about um, what these guys do on a daily basis, working for NC SERS and their interactions with local veterans and how they kind of support them and connect them with resources in our community. This episode is kind of like a, a special day for, for us. We, um, it was just like, I don't know. It was so, I'm full of gratitude right now. When we first started the podcast back in February, a little less than a year ago, um, there was a lot of conversations between our team about if we would be able to sustain long term um, a supply of guests and people who were willing to kind of make themselves vulnerable and come onto the podcast and talk to us about some pretty intimate details of their life and the outpour has just been amazing. Um, we went from recording a podcast bi-weekly like every other week to doing it weekly and here we are today this is our second podcast of the day we sat down earlier in the morning with mary ferrari of the emerald school of excellence the first ever uh, recovery high school in the state of north carolina over in charlotte so it's pretty like a, a a pretty awesome experience to to be able to do two shows in one day to sit down with three amazing individuals and talk to them for a couple hours each uninterrupted is just truly amazing so um tons of love to all of you guys like we couldn't do it without you guys and it just goes to show the level of support of the community and the willingness to really um heal together through these stories so with that being said let's give it up for my dude ricky johnson and brandon wilson I'm just an individual Living the miracle, standing divisible, connected to God and my physical essence of my spiritual presence is visible. Totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal. Used to be a criminal, living so minimal. But things have changed in my life is going through different intervals. Finding that balance is significantly difficult. Timing is everything, so my timing is critical. Rhyming is literal, the unforgettable. It's why I stand before you impeccably so presentable. I give respect to you, know that I am respectable. I've always wanted acceptance, is that acceptable? I give the Rival expected to be exceptional, and I'm a grown man, handle business like a professional. I am incredible, Leo conventional, and you stopping me from chasing my dreams is unprofessional. The 
opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed. We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. <laughs> Brandon Wilson and Ricky Johnson. That's right. Hey, welcome, hey. Welcome to the NC Raw podcast. I appreciate you guys coming out on late on a wet, cold, rainy Veterans Day. It's, it's our pleasure. My pleasure. Spending the night with us and kind of talking about what you guys have going on in, in your lives and the phenomenal <clears throat> work that you're doing in our local community. We also have a familiar face. Miss Ginger Stream the Dream Malcolm. That's right. <laughs> What's going on with you, girl? Anything and everything. Yeah. <laughs> but I would like to say that this is the show. These are the people that you put on when the weather is terrible, when the conditions are horrible, they're going to show up because you have fought those conditions, not driving, but physically on foot in <laughs> combat, in battle, um, for our country, for our to protect our freedoms. Like on this Veterans Day, we bring you to the table most of all to honor you and say thank you for your service. Without you, we wouldn't even have the ability to freely speak like this. You Absolutely. are phenomenal. And not only are they going to show up, but they're going to show up like 45 minutes early and have an awesome conversation hanging out with me. <laughs> and like, dude, I, like we, we totally could have done finished the podcast already because mm -hmm. we like covered all of our bases. Yeah, waiting on me, right? I appreciate you guys. No, no. Uh, we appreciate being here. And I think that it's important, you know, on Veterans Day, I think it's really cool that you invited us out on this day. Uh, to get our our views and and, uh, and uh, look through our lenses uh, through transition through recovery from two veterans, I always like to say though when we start out with anything is it's really uh, it's not just about the veterans it's about their family members and their spouses and, and the caregivers that uh, that take care of them as too so uh, you know before we, we give a shout out to all the veterans on Veterans Day I also want to give a shout out to all the family members and spouses mm -hmm. because their sacrifices at times are just as intense. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. If you are a veteran. Or if you are a family member of a veteran, go ahead and drop some comments in the comment box and let us give you some love when we get off the mm -hmm. off air. So that yeah, outstanding. Um, so you guys are doing some pretty solid work in the community. Go ahead and like tell me about what you guys do, where you come from, how you came to this table. Uh, I guess I'll go first, and I'll let Ricky. Who you all are? Yeah, Ricky's, Ricky's got a great story. Uh, uh, I'm a local to North Carolina, native, uh, born and raised. My family's been here since 1790, so I've aged very well uh, <laughs> over the last a couple hundred years. Uh, but I, I was real fortunate. I come from a good background. Uh, my father and my grandfather, both are my heroes, and they were able to, to put me in, a, in an environment that raised me up in a good Christian home. And uh, both my grandfather served in World War II, and my dad served during the Vietnam era. And I got to a point in my life where... I was living pretty, uh, pretty intense and pretty wild and free. And a good childhood friend of mine got killed in Afghanistan. And uh, at that point, I was like, you know, I've got to give something more. I, I've given, I've taken enough from this country, and I've got to give, give my, give my all and give back too. So I uh, joined the Marine Corps, uh, uh, served a total of eight years in service, uh, got pumped out to Iraq, and did a deployment there. And you know, when you go in, you're you're young and mean, and you're, you're going to take over the whole world. And you come to find out really quick that uh, it's not the case. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was real fortunate to come home uh, whole. 
with no physical injuries, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, the transition is always tough. And I come home and was able to uh, uh, be with a woman that uh, I ended up marrying. And uh, But I didn't know what I wanted to do. And we're going to talk about transition probably in the show here in a little bit. But uh, I was cutting meat for Food Line and tripped mm. and fell into a veteran service office because I was thinking about buying a home, starting my life. And uh, I was real fortunate the service officer there took me under his wing and said, let's do some other things for you than just get you a home loan. Uh, and he ended up offering me a part-time job. Uh, so I, that part-time job ended up leading to being a full-time job uh, with the Haywood County Veterans Service Office. And I was real fortunate to find my mission in life and my niche in life, which ultimately uh, helped me in my transition and recovery uh, 100% with the support of my wife. And that led me to my career field. I ended up doing a lot of different things amongst Veterans Affairs. I am a peer support specialist. I'm a recovery ally. Um <coughs> Uh, eventually led me to Raleigh, where I had a great platform to really uh, impact change and, and, and differences in the veteran space and military space. And, and working in Raleigh as a deputy director and doing some other things there was just phenomenal. And uh, like everything else, the Lord has different plans to where you think you're heading and mm-hmm. turn real quick. You turn, I come back home and just be with my family and my two girls. Uh, realized that my job was getting in the way of a good quality life, so I was able to come home. Uh, be with them, and now I'm running a new initiative out of Syracuse University with ABCCM, mm. uh, all about coordinating services for our veterans and their spouses and family members, and that's sort of what's put us where, where I'm at today, and uh, still, still, still in my mission. I'm still helping the veterans and family members, which is which keeps me where I need to be with my own transition. So, and when we talk about transition, I want to talk about. Um, what ABCCM means and what it does for that veteran community. It's such a vital asset in the Asheville area. And um, so many people are not aware of the services that are offered for them. I think one thing that you stress so much when you present is one day. We just want one day. Tell us you did one day in the service and we're here to help you. um, So that's going to be a... um, a key point that I'm excited to hit so that people can be aware of the resources that are out there. That's a big, big deal. Yeah. So that's a little bit about me and I'll I'll let Ricky talk a little bit about himself. He's uh, got a remarkable story, uh, a little bit more remarkable than mine, I think, but uh, go ahead, Ricky. Um, My name is Ricky Johnson. I'm a peer support. We call it navigator. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm also a mentor with the Buncombe County Veterans Treatment Court. Mm. Um, I had a I had a good childhood. I didn't have any excuse to turn out or become who I was. I had good parents, but uh, the reality was I was exposed to substance use as a young kid, and uh, that that appealed to me. Um, I make no excuses. I made I made some bad choices. Um, I had my son the summer before my senior year. He was I was 17 years old. I was a uh, I was a boy who thought I was a man having a kid, and uh, I graduated high school. Decided uh, I needed some direction and guidance, so joined the Marine Corps. Um, we're, Marines were extreme people. Um, for me personally, uh, we're very obsessive, repetitive, and uh, I discharged from the Marine Corps, so I had substance use into that. Uh, I spent the next 10 years <clears throat> in methamphetamine, alcohol, and pills. I'm also a two-time convicted felon. Um, mm. Two years homelessness. I can't drive until 2022. I spent five years on felony probation. I paid into the state over $15,000 in fines and court costs. Um, after I discharged from the Marine Corps, I lost my mother to substance use. She was 49 years old. 
Uh, my biological dad, he was 54. He, I lost him to substance use as well. Um, I ended up homeless. Uh, my stepdad, if you're listening, Pop, I love you. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for mm. you. Uh, he uh, he showed me some tough love. He got sick of my mess, and I ended up in a rescue mission. And that's where I crossed paths with an angel who's my wife now. Um, she, saved, she ultimately saved my life. And uh, my joke to everyone is she's got two master's degrees, and I have two felonies. So <laughs> <laughs> we can balance that out, don't it? We balance it out. So I was in the rescue or I met my wife. We everything was going smooth for me. I was using my GI Bill. I was sober, gaining momentum. Well, all that time that I was investing into myself, what Ricky wanted, what Ricky needed, poor Ricky, uh, I neglected the one person that needed me the most, and that was my son. Uh, two years ago, he took his own life. He was uh, he was 18 years mm-hmm. old. So that uh, uh, it killed me, but it inspired me, and that's a lot of the reason I'm here today. Um, and guys, when I met my wife, I was in a living hell. I had three changes of clothes, and that was it. Uh, I knew I knew what I wanted, but I didn't know how to get there. And she was that little bit of little bit of hope that uh, it changed. It turned my whole life around. Um, Julie and I, Julie and I moved here to uh, I moved to Asheville in March. And my wife, she's a, a clinical supervisor at a medical a medically medical tre- medically assisted treatment facility. Natural. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what brought us to Asheville. Ultimately, I came here with no job, two felonies, uh, a ton mm-hmm. of baggage. Mm-hmm. I'd basically been doing peer support through social media and not knowing what I was doing. I was just I was sharing all my stories and being very mm-hmm. transparent and open, and it was it was impacting a lot of people. And um, when my when my son's death happened, I made a I made a promise to myself I would not let his life be in vain or mine. And uh, so. And, you know, before I met my wife, you know, I'm a spiritual guy and I, I, I prayed, I prayed to God. I said, if you get me out of this pits of hell, I'll always give back to the next man. I'll never blame you for when things don't go my way. And I always give you credit when I'm blessed. And I've stood on that even with my son's death. I never, I'm a very, I hold myself accountable for everything that I do. So we move here with two felonies. I can't find a job. Um, I'm at a fast forward. I'm at a Marine Corps League meeting and I'm sharing with a group of people who I am and who I was. And just so happened, Brandon was there. Bam. And uh, I believe in divine intervention, but I also mm-hmm. believe in, you know, opportunity. And Brandon approached me, and he kind of pointed me in the direction to go. And uh, Brandon's been a huge influence and impact in my life. He uh best leader I've ever had. I mean, he's, he's, he's one of the pieces of iron that sharpens me, and I think that's very crucial, mm-hmm. especially in recovery, is to have like-minded people, you know, and a, mm-hmm. and a good support system. And that's what... That's what NC Service was, has been for me, for sure. So, Wow, I feel like we've been to church. I'm, you, I'm loving it. I'm telling you. Wow. Um, you kind of touched on a little bit about how you guys met. And I wanted to see if you could kind of maybe elaborate, Brandon, a little bit on like what you saw in Ricky. Oh, yeah. When he shared that story and what like attracted you to kind of um more than just seeking him out to provide services but yeah. like taking him under your wing and kind of like creating that relationship yeah. w- that deep personal relationship with him yeah so first off he's a marine so <laughs> you know we like we, we like each other check okay out. so that's a check in the box check. right uh-huh. there so the fact that he uh, was a marine was one thing but you know 
I w- I've been real fortunate. I've had some people in my life that's really impacted me, and you've had <laughs> Richie Tanner Hill on the show. And when I left Raleigh and come home, uh, I went to work f- for Via Health for a while, and I went to work with uh, with Richie in, in, a, in that capacity. And that's where me and Richie had met, and <laughs> we had a lot of conversations about the recovery community and transition, and we started really helping each other and supporting each other out. And uh, for those of you who don't know Richie, he will open your eyes, <laughs> and if you and if you don't, he's going to knock you in the head till you do open your eyes. Force them open. Um, oh yeah. So so we really started talking, and I started really paying attention to language and how much language impacts conversations and relationships with individuals. So he put me on this track with the peer support community that I had not been on previously before, and I really started seeing that impact of how peers are really able to connect and put people on the right track and support people in a way that counselors and PhDs and psychiatrists can't. And I'm not knocking that at all. There's a great place for that. It's a different type of relationship. It's a different type of relationship. Mm -hmm. So when uh, I had this on my mind and I was thinking, how could, how could we, how can I start using more peers in what I'm doing? And uh, that started being jumbled jumbled around in my head there for a while. And prior to this had, had that been something that NC serves did or no. offered or no, no, not, 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 no, not, okay. not, not through the NC serves market. And we had done some things in Raleigh with uh, something called a veteran support specialist, which mm-hmm. is something that we had worked on very similar to peer, but it was really intended to vet for veteran service officers to give them uh, in layman's terms, soft skills of peer support for veteran service officers to get them a little bit better with communicating. But at the end of the day, they weren't peers. Uh, so this was something I was thinking about in my head. And when I went to the Marine Corps League meeting that, that night, I was there and I think received some certificate. I don't remember. I, I don't go to a lot of them, he's but being, I was, he's being humble, right but, now, but, yeah. but I was, Mary. I was there to, to be at that. And, and, uh, Ricky was there with his wife and I always scan and look. And when he was able to introduce himself, he spoke with such honesty and with such passion mm. and passion bleeds like, like, like cancer. I mean, it bleeds in a good way. Uh, and I, that's what really attracted me to Ricky was he spoke with this such honesty and such passion. And I know that passion is something that, that people respond well to. So I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I like this guy. He's, he's got a, he's got a heck of a story to tell and mm-hmm. sure he's got some baggage, but there's potential in what he's saying and potential what he's carrying with mm-hmm. him right now. So when I talked to him a little bit about a job and he was trying to get a job with Under Armour or something yeah. at the time, I think, <laughs> which I thought was just crazy, but I knew he had an uphill but battle. But he had an uphill battle because he had the two felonies. I knew that was going to be difficult. So I was like, let's let's connect. So we, he was just here. And I think one of the first things that NC Serves did for him was get him a Bridger phone. Like we got him a cell phone for a period of time because he didn't have a cell phone. So he could talk to, you know, potential employers and that kind of mm-hmm. thing. And we, we talked some more and talked about the peer support. And he had never heard about being certified in that capacity. So we worked with some providers in the community and got him on track, got him his 40-hour training, got him his 20 hours training, and I think now he's going for a CSAC. And so he's he's really come come around. And so the opportunity that I had, I finagled some stuff, and I said, I'm going to hire you. So as soon as mm-hmm. he got through with all that, I, I, give him, I give him a short-term mission, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but he mm-hmm. was able to accomplish that mission. I said, if you get to this point, I'm probably going to be able to hire you. So you've got to get through this. So he drank the Kool-Aid and did what he needed to do, and – uh, now he's one of the best assets we've got on our team now. Yeah. Phenomenal. Brandon was Brandon for me was the kind of leader that um, what I feel like every every leader should be like. He's he'll he'll get in there he'll get in there with you, but he also prepares you for uh, for success. You know he's not mm-hmm. the kind of person that's going to just drop the hammer on you. He's he's mm-hmm. trying to build you up. 
uh, he let he let me know, and he still lets me know along the way. And I kind of thank him for a, an opportunity. He said, "I'm just giving you the ball. You got to run with it." And mm-hmm. I said, "All you got to do is point me to the door, and I'll take it from there." And that's mm-hmm. what's been also crucial with peer support. You know, you don't do all the work for someone, but you're mm-hmm. still, you know, on the journey with them. So, well, in the, in the essence of Richie Tanner Hill, he mm-hmm. was um, on the onset of the NC Raw scene, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, and very um, strong advocate in, in this whole thing coming to fruition with the great Stephen Steen. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and said, uh, "I'll give you the name for free. It's NC Raw. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, how he is. Awesome. that one's free. That one's on me." Yeah. And uh, Richie Tanner Hill is um, an amazing asset, and he provokes. Um, he provokes action. Yeah. You know, he makes you want to, you want to come to the table. You want to come to the plate. You want to get activated. And, um, but I think it's so amazing that, um, like you have found some massive clarity and some, in some huge pain. Sure. And, um, to say that, uh, I remember I'm a military child. I'm a, to, I'm the daughter of a 20 year old. I'm in a 24 years of service. My father's buried in the National Cemetery and a granddaughter of a master chief, very decorated master chief. And, um, like, I know the life. I appreciate and, um, their service. I, I appreciate their service, too, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Except for, do you remember what it was like to be a military child? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I wonder, I, I just have this um, question about, because there's a point I want to make here about substance use disorder is um did your did your son ever suffer with that also um i think toward the uh i think he experimented experimented with smoking weed i mean mm-hmm. actually i know he did mm-hmm. uh ginger the unfortunate part with my son is um he saw me get high he saw me he's watched the door for me or he did watch the door for me while i was selling narcotics mm-hmm. um i chose substance use over him i let him get mm-hmm. high in front of me and that was I was justifying in my mind that I was showing him the right way to do the wrong thing, mm-hmm. and um, that's something I still carry with me. So yeah, he was he was experimenting. And I think that um, because I think the clarity comes in the fact that substance use disorder will not just take you out in a body bag; it'll take you out in a straitjacket too. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, and and that's that's the like profoundness of what we deal with. But I also know that in the healing process and the substance use coming from trauma, that um, I don't think, I have to say this, I don't think you ever chose anything over your family. I think you were caught in a, in a you know what I'm saying, in a place of, um, you know, of not knowing how to get out. That's probably, there's, there's probably a lot of truth to that. And, you know, I, um, I even, I, I probably, I probably do beat myself up a lot over mm-hmm. it. I just carry a lot of, I think about all the birthdays and Christmases I missed. I've stole from my kid. I stole from my dad. And I was a, I was a lying thief, you know, and I, and mm-hmm. I said, and I would, I would say to myself and to him, uh, I love you more than anything and I'll do anything for you, but my actions proved otherwise. And, um, mm-hmm. I still carry that, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm, you have a good point with what you said. There's probably a lot of truth to that. Yeah, and there's a lot of forgiveness to be had in there. Sure. And the fact that you have changed your life remarkably and for him not to be in vain is, I mean, it's that it's that deciding factor. Sure. You know, these are the points in recovery that it can go either way. These are the points. Mm-hmm. Death and relationships are the two things that usually take us back out. I haven't really known Ricky for like 
a couple days <laughs> and most of our interactions are on like very brief on Facebook, but I did like scope his videos mm-hmm. and caught a couple this morning and stuff. And what I see is and what's what we talk about all the time and what we teach like through peer support and mm-hmm. things like that is that um, he, he has taken just complete ownership of his story mm-hmm. and used it in an empowering way that fosters healing, fosters growth and support of his own recovery and the healing that that needs to be done for himself and his family members. And um, I mean, we didn't really even like talk that much at all. And he sh- immediately shot me a message this morning. I was like, hey, man, anything you want to talk about? I'm an open book, you know, and like I haven't watched a couple of those videos and really mm-hmm. just the way he delivers that message like. Ricky needs his own podcast, man. Yeah. Like, for that's real, right. dude. That's right. Like, well, he, he, he creates trust. Yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, you have somebody mm-hmm. that's an open book and is that honest and upfront and real. Mm-hmm. It creates that trust. And uh, a lot of times with the population that we're serving, particularly with veterans, is they don't have that trust. They don't have mm-hmm. that connection. If you don't have that, how can you better assist them and better support them with what they're going through without that kind of trust? So, you know, for Ricky to, to, to be on board with our team as a – as a mentor at Veterans Treatment Court, as a, as a peer at the Veterans Restoration Quarters, uh, you know, I mean, a member of our team. He's the only peer support in all of the America Serves Networks right now. He is wow. the first one and the only one. Wow. And so um, what he's going to be able to do, he doesn't know there's a lot of pressure on him to perform, but, um, uh, you know, the, it it, it, it's, it, it's going to spread like wildflower, mm-hmm. I think, through through uh, the other markets and, and we're trying to show the the need for peer support and for giving people that second opportunity mm-hmm. and giving them the opportunity to really come forward and say hey this is it's not what i am it's this is not what i was isn't who i am mm-hmm. and this is who i am now and so he, he brings a lot to the table and well and that authenticity of saying there's no reason if i can get through this there's no there's no more excuses sure you know, you can, and I want to know, like, what do you do more in that veteran court setting? Uh, um, I don't want to speak too much on it because uh, Kevin Roman is going to be here and mm-hmm. Kevin's got an amazing story. Kevin's an, uh, he's an amazing man. But for me at veterans court, um, I'm a mentor for three other veterans. And mm-hmm. um, for me, it's a, it's a change of environment because I'm used to being the one shackled in front of the courtroom. <laughs> and, uh, you know, now I'm sitting with, yeah, the, I know. now yeah. I'm sitting where the jury sits mm-hmm. and, um, Veterans Court's probably my most uh, gratifying grow. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I get to actually see the, the progress with the guys. And mm-hmm. um, um, seeing a, seeing Judge Pope, seeing a judge, period, ask somebody in the courtroom, is there anything we can do for you? I'm proud of you. Keep up, keep up the good work. And seeing those words come from somebody like a judge, saying that to somebody and just seeing their spirits and their, you know, progress, it's, just, it's a really, I leave every time feeling good. Mm-hmm. It embeds hope into those individuals, yeah, absolutely. and right. they become the messengers of that hope. And and all, you know the other side of the coin, he does hold people accountable, which mm-hmm. uh, is beneficial. But he, mm-hmm. after a while, he does have to say, "Hey, this is it," you know. And I don't like seeing that, but mm-hmm. it's just part of court. So. But isn't that an amazing reward, though, absolutely. to watch? I mean, for me, working in the recovery field is like when you see other people get it. It's like, oh my god. Well, I think too, it's important to remember that when when you're helping other people go through where you've been, mm-hmm. it, you're not only just helping them, but all you're doing is helping yourself even more. Oh, yeah. It's just mm. as rewarding probably for Ricky to see that and knowing what he's doing it is for the people that he's supporting. But when we do what we do, we do it so humbly that we don't even realize, you know. How healthy it is. Like it's not, 
it's not about me. Yeah. It's about them and watching them grow. And when they grow, it's like, wow. Yeah. That's what I want. That's what I asked him earlier. And I'll ask him again is like, what's it like to be on the other side of that table? It's a, about being there advocating for those guys mm-hmm. that have been exactly where you were. It's a, the, my whole life right now, it's, I don't want to say surreal, but I've worked, mm. I've worked very hard to get here. So talking about earlier, the, the thought of uh, Brandon and NC serves, having enough trust and belief in them into me to invest money and time into me. I take that role very serious. My credibility means everything to me. Um, being in a courtroom that's uh, being in the courtroom, set beside law enforcement. I used to, I used to be the, you know, middle <laughs> finger to the police guy. And now I'm like, I have, you know, one of my, po- one of my coworkers for NC serves, used to be, he was, he was a DEA agent. So mm-hmm. and we're friends. It's just a, <laughs> they share an office together now. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> This is so through. You know yeah. my story, uh-huh. so I'm sitting here going, oh "My gosh!" Yeah, it's it's a it's it's sur- it is surreal. Yeah. So, what was that moment like when you sat on the other side of the fence, and you were like, "Dude, like these people trust me." It's um, you know, it's it's taken a lot of work. Like uh, it's been three years ago. I mean, I've, I've been in complete sobriety for five years, and a lot of people have been following my journey on uh through Facebook. Um the county sheriff where i'm from you have to imagine i spent almost 10 years like hiding from him he's watching <laughs> he's watching me and i'm watching him i'm watching him mm-hmm. i got to sit down and eat dinner with him twice and it was like i, if, I felt like i was going to the principal's office you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it was a great it was a great huge moment for me and mm-hmm. um and i'm calling him sir and he's calling me bro so it's just it was, it was, it's a great feeling i mean I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about anything anymore i'm not i don't have nothing to hide everything i've done is out here in the public you know, i've been mm-hmm. on the I've been in the newspapers, on the news, and everybody, you know, I have nothing to hide anymore. So mm. it's, it's very liberating to me, mm. honestly. Mm. That is so powerful. Let's talk a little bit about NCSERS and kind of the overall scope of things and what it is that you guys do, because you do a lot, right? You, you wear a lot of hats. You provide a lot of services in this community. Like, well, where does it start? Introduce NC serves to the lay person who might not have ever heard of it. So, them. it's all about service coordination. That's basically what it is. And and, and here in West North Carolina, we have something called two one one. The problem that happens with anybody that's in transition or anybody that's going through a recovery, there's so many different needs that you may have. There's so many different avenues that you can take, and there's really not one place you can go that's going to coordinate those services and those efforts. What NC Serves has done is it's allowed us to be able to help you navigate that in a way that makes things more efficient and makes things uh, increases the efficacy of that uh, in order to get you to the needs that you need as quickly as possible without ever being told no. So an example of mm. how that would work would be, uh, Ginger, you come because you have a legal need and you don't know where to turn and, and you, need a, you have a legal need that needs to be met. So you would come into our uh, network and say, I need a legal need. Uh, that no wrong door policies through a website. You can call us. You can walk into our crisis ministry, go online. No wrong door approach to that. Uh, You would say, I need help with legal. We would take that need and we would say, okay, what what we need to do with this legal need? Let's send this to legal aid of North Carolina. So we would take your assessment, take your stuff and send a referral through a web-based platform uh, that's free to our providers and free to the community. And we would send that to them for that legal need. 
legal aid would look at that and say, you know what, we can't do that. It's a conflict of interest. We're out of funds because we're a nonprofit. We can't help with this need. So they would reject that referral back. The cool thing about that is the rejection is not going to you, Ginger. It's going to our coordination center team. It's okay to tell us no. You're not being told no. Mm-hmm. We get it. We scratch our heads. We go to another provider that we have in the community, like let's say Pisgah Legal. Uh, we send it to Pisgah Legal. They say, yes, we can help with this case. At that point, we actually get all the information to them, let you know that Pisgah Legal is going to help. We make that connection. And that's really a true warm handoff. Mm-hmm. You never get told no. Mm-hmm. Providers don't have to tell people no because nobody likes to tell anybody no. And at the end of the day, you're getting your need met in a manner that's a little bit more quick, more efficient, mm-hmm. and not being told no. On the back end of all that work, we're able to track all this through this remarkable data system called Unite Us that's that's built in through America Serves and the NC Serves markets. Uh, and we track where the gaps in services are in each community, each individual community. So we're a little bit more effective in targeting our funding and resources moving forward for that. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what NC Serves is doing. What makes NC Serves a little bit different than other VA services is that's so veteran-specific. We're going to help you regardless of your discharge. We're going to help your family, your spouse, your children. If they have a need, we're not just veteran-specific. What ABCCM, what NC Serves looks at really well is the whole person. And if we just address just this one need and just one part of this piece of the pie, the rest of it's not being took care of. So we, we understand that the family members are going through the same recovery. We're going mm-hmm. through the same transition. So we've got to uplift them. We've got to give them the supports that they need for better understanding of what they're going through so they can better you know, support the person themselves, the veteran themselves. Mm-hmm. So we don't just address just the one need. That one need may turn into three or four, mm-hmm. and the family may turn into five or six, but we're able to do that as a community. And it's not just NC Service doing this. It's the providers in Western North Carolina that's a part <clears throat> of this network. So something that we may miss Pisgah Legal may pick up, mm-hmm. send it right back to us, and then we send it for an employment provider or a daycare or, or boots or they need help with their rent. So we, we look at the whole picture as a whole, and we're able to capture that in one system that all these providers can look at, which allows all of us to see it, the situation a little bit better. And let's clarify for a minute that when you provide these services, I just want people to know that when you talk about recovery, <clears throat> and you provide these services for vets, you're not just talking about substance use disorder. No. You're talking about PTSD. You're talking about mental health issues. You're talking about recovery for a wounded warrior. You're talking about mm-hmm. anyone who has served as a vet mm-hmm. one day, one hour, one minute, mm-hmm. and no matter their discharge and no matter what their obstacles are that they're trying to come back from, mm-hmm. even recovery from returning from from a... Um, you know the from word. service, yeah, from service or from a, um, being from combat, yeah. yeah. So whatever that recovery mm-hmm. looks like for them, whatever they're trying to, you know, overcome the obstacles that they have mm-hmm. from from being in service or even before or after service. I yeah. think that's that's uh, that's a clarifying statement to make because yeah, you totally. guys do so much, and it's not just about substance use disorder. No, it's it's the whole twenty one human service needs that we talk mm-hmm. about, and that could be as far as. You know, for, for instance, I'll get a little geeky nerdy with you real fast. And where we're at in Western North Carolina, housing is our number one need, followed by employment, mm-hmm. followed by VA benefits, followed by social enrichment. What makes that unique, if you look at any other population that we look at, like 211 has 211 counts, social enrichment's not even close to being in their top 20. But amongst the veterans population, it's in our top four or five 
every month, social enrichment. So when you think about veterans, we really want to, there's a place for PTSD. There is, and we can talk about that. But the biggest issue that veterans have coming home is that transition. Coming from a group that is, they're so tight and so tribal and Sebastian Younger mm-hmm. talks about that in his book Tribe when you're so close to a group of individuals you eat you sleep you shower you bathe you dig a hold of bear to dig a hold of bear to dig a hold of bear for no reason at all you become like a brotherhood or sisterhood and that's completely different than friendship friendship is I like you Ginger I like your hair I like your shirt the more I like you the more I want to hang out with you the more I want to hang out with you the more I like you that's friendship to anybody in the community what the culture in the military has in that tribe environment is actually a brotherhood or sisterhood. And it has it's not tied to that emotion. We all took our oath. We swore our right hand and said, we'll, we'll, we want to, we'll lay down our life for this nation and we're part of something bigger than anything else. Brotherhood and sisterhood looks like this. Ricky, I don't like you. I don't like how you're so big and in shape and I'm not. I don't like your bald head. I don't like your story. I don't like you, Ricky. But that's not tied to an emotion because we're both part of the same tribe. At the end of the day, even if I don't like Ricky, I know when we walk somewhere, he's got my back. I've got his back. There's no judgment because we've seen each other at our low. We've seen each other at our high. Not tied to emotion, though, but we have this trust with one another. So when you have that and you breathe that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you step outside of that family and you come home, who do you trust then? Is it your spouse, your mom, your dad? It's it's a different brotherhood and sisterhood. So that transition from going from that environment to a society that realistically is more divided now than it ever has. I mean, if you look at our politics today and our religion and, and racially, we're more divided as a country now. For the military culture, we don't understand that because we're in an environment where we're all equally the same. We're all moving forward. So that's the biggest you know, problem that veterans have coming home is that transition from having that kind of trusting environment to a society that, A, don't understand them, and that we mm-hmm. stick all these labels on everything. We mm-hmm. do that. We mm-hmm. all do that. I do that today and don't even know that I do that because it's our human nature. We mm-hmm. have to catch ourselves. But when you do that and, they, and you're lost, you don't know where to go, who do you trust, mm-hmm. who, nobody understands me, that's the problem that veterans have. So social enrichment is one of those needs that we are tracking, and how do we address that as a community? And that's what we're trying to figure out. Ricky, you want to talk a little bit about what that experience was like for you in developing that trust and that social enrichment throughout your transition, both um, back as a civilian, but also like through recovery? Because it's kind of like yep. very, it's similar. very similar. Yeah, it's very similar. Very similar. Um, it was difficult. I really never, I didn't, I didn't understand the transition as being uh, having that tribal mentality until I, until I heard Brandon give a presentation, and I was like, "Wow, that that makes total sense." Um, the transition from for me from substance use to sobriety was much harder than the transition for you know from being a marine or being a service member to a civilian because. For me, the uh, the, subs- the transition to sobriety is going to be something that I have to I have to stay on top of forever. You know, my, mm-hmm. my military experience is something that I don't lay in it. I'm you know I'm proud that I did it, but it doesn't define who I am. You know, I'm not I'm ne- I'm probably never going to be the guy you look at and say, hey, that's Ricky the Marine. I'm I'm just Ricky. Mm-hmm. Um, so the for me the transition from you know 
from my poor choices is something that it, it was probably much more difficult for me. Yeah. And, and transition looks different for everyone. Absolutely. Just like recovery looks different yeah. for everyone. And we, right. and we know that. You know, when you think transition, most people think, well, transition's happening today. You know, the way the Vietnam generation was when they returned home from the Vietnam conflict, we have a lot of Vietnam veterans that are still in transition. Mm -hmm. And they self-identify as being that. Just like you tend more toward your recovery, some Vietnam veterans may not be in recovery from that. They may still be in transition from being in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to remember that there's no cookie-cutter mold to this. That's right. Everybody's recovery is different. Everybody's transition is different. And we need to be cognizant of that. But that's why it's so amazing about what you guys do because you cover all those bases. Mm-hmm. And you have those relationships with so many members of the community, so many resources. You're connecting the dots. Yeah. And I want to I clarify something also. But I don't want to mislead anyone. I'm not a combat veteran. I, and I spent four years and eight months. I pumped gas. I drove a fuel truck. Um, you know, I even... Even when I went to the VA, I was diagnosed with, you know, PTSD and bipolar and all that. The truth of the matter was if I didn't have substances, I was depressed. If I had something in me, <laughs> I was happy. So I never want to lead anyone to believe that, um, that, I had P- that I had PTSD, you know, and, but, but a lot of mine was, a lot of mine was probably contributed to the tribal mentality, but I didn't know that when I was 21 or 22 years old. Yeah. So, but also yeah. I think. You know, I mean, without like going too deep into it, talking about what Ginger kind of started the conversation with, out with is that like that that level of like trauma, like childhood trauma. You mentioned like a family history of substance use and growing up and experiencing yeah. that mm-hmm. firsthand and kind of mm-hmm. like living with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I tell people that to this day. I mean, for myself, like I said, I don't blame anyone for a choice that I've ever made. Yeah. However. Who we, who we become as people, a lot of that is contributed to what we're influenced by as a kid. And like I said, I don't blame anyone, but I, what I saw as a kid appealed to me. I can remember tasting beer as a kid, and I liked the taste of it. I never forgot that. Uh, it created a monster with me when I got mm-hmm. older. But mm-hmm. And also something else I want to touch on, Brandon didn't say, or he missed about uh, – Brandon, will you touch on when you said – or also part of NC Serves Western, we, we get to the – the root of the problem or the what we're are we trying to get to find a solution to whatever though yeah so a lot of times what, what, what we found out is there's a lot of nonprofits out there and there's a lot of agencies that are willing to help and it's great to get the help but it, it's one thing with uh, enabling people to stay on the same path they're on mm-hmm. and breaking that path uh we talk about uh language a lot in the peer recovery in, in that in that model and language has a lot to do with it. I like I don't like I like to say we empower people, mm-hmm. but Richie will argue with me with we're not empowering people. We're just reminding them the power they have within them, mm-hmm. and that's really what we try to do. Uh, an example of how that looks is one of the first uh, veterans that come through NC Serves was a Navy veteran, and he come through and he was needing uh, five hundred dollars uh, to get his car repaired because he was having trouble getting to work and his car had a some head gasket blown or something. He was needing five hundred dollars for this thing. And he come to us saying, I need $500. And obviously we took his information down and we was like, okay, let's see what we can do for you. And we found a provider in the community that was willing to, to give $500 to help get this guy's truck paid for. But before we give him the $500, we was like, okay, why, why are you needing $500? Why are you in the situation right now where you're having to come to us and ask us for money? Now, obviously it was a lot of money for this guy. So why are you in this situation? What are you having problems with? We'll come to find out he had 
had some other issues that had come up and he wasn't budgeting his money right. He was trying to live a little bit more lavishly than he could. And he admittedly said that, uh, which I think was unique that he was able to admit that. But I think the reason he was able to admit that was I'm coming from a Marine. He was coming from the Navy. And I was just being direct and upfront with him and saying, hey, I'm being real with you. I want to help you. Tell me what's going on, Navy guy. Come on, sailor. Come on, squid. Talk to me. I'm a jarhead. <laughs> so, so we were able to have that that jarhead. trust right there. Yeah. So he broke that down, and we was like, okay, well, how about we do this? We'll help you. We'll get this provider that's willing to pay for it. But how about you go to OnTrack Financial in Asheville, and they'll help you set up your budget, help you get your credit built back up, and help you get back on the right track so you're not coming back next mm-hmm. month or the next month or the next month that's going mm-hmm. on. And he was very accepting to that. Not all mm-hmm. the time they are, but this in this case, he was very accepting to that. So he was able to go get that. We got him the $500. We got his truck fixed. And two months later, he called me and he said, I've never been more on top of my, my finances than I've ever been before. And I really appreciate you giving me that opportunity and looking at me in that way. Because everywhere else I'd ever been up to that point, I could sometimes get the resources but they wasn't cutting the head of the snake off. And I was always mm. living behind the curve. And now I'm on top of things. Since that, he's probably been one of our best ambassadors. He sends people to us all the time. Mm-hmm. But that's what it's about. That's what we want to mm-hmm. do. Yeah, that's amazing. And then just the the empowerment himself to be able to be in control of his own finances, mm-hmm. to have money put back, to have, you know, there's no greater feeling than knowing that your bills are paid. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's a big deal. And that's and a big deal that people struggle with in recovery. Like sure we is. have to learn how to, you know. And I think it's important that, to, to really communicate. That's nothing that NC Serves did. We're just that conduit. The The people who provided the $500, they're the ones doing the business. The on-track financial that actually helped them with this budget, they're doing the real business. It's the community that's really wrapping around and providing these services. All we're doing is creating a melting pot for all this to happen and us to help them be the air traffic controller mm-hmm. to do these things and get them to the people who are experts in what they do throughout the community because we want them to continue being experts in the community. Nobody else is doing that mm-hmm. besides you guys. That's mm-hmm. In any kind of field, whether it's substance use, mm-hmm. mental health, you guys specifically with veterans, but like there's nobody else that's doing that. It's really changing the way service coordination and service mm-hmm. delivery has happened, not just in North Carolina, just in Asheville, but across the United States. So we, North Carolina just recently, DHHS just uh, uh, announced this NC Cares 360 model, which is tracking mm-hmm. social determinants. Uh, they're actually funding this kind of platform throughout the state of North Carolina to interface, not just with, one entity but for dss to be able to communicate to the nonprofit, to the churches to it just so happened that this started in the veteran space but as wow. it should we're always the first of everything oh, so uh, but it's it, but it but it's it, it's it's really good and it's really important so the fact that north carolina right now is really leading the nation in a lot of areas now that dhhs and raleigh has really took this up it's going to interface with what already we're doing with NC Serves in the state mm-hmm. and really wrap around everything that's going on. And it just so happens it's started in the veteran space and uh, Syracuse University and the Institute of Veterans and Family Members, which started this, is really going to help move this across the nation, which is really exciting. That's phenomenal. Are yeah. you familiar with the history behind this sort of concept and approach and kind of like how Syracuse University how all this started yeah it it really it started uh, uh dr mike haney is the vice chancellor at syracuse university and he's an air force veteran himself and uh he realized that there was a disconnect of 
how we get all these needs, how hard it was when you get out of service to navigate all these federal benefits that are out there. You know, the Department of Defense doesn't do a really good job of letting veterans and service members know when they leave. And they do it in a manner that, A, we're not paying attention. You know, when I out-processed in the Marine Corps, they put me in a room that was hot, and they said, you got to sit in here for eight hours and learn all these PowerPoints from all these different people that's going to talk about all the benefits you need to be aware of when you leave. Now, I'm getting out in a week. The only thing that's on your mind is... The only thing on my mind is going home, go, seeing my friends, going fishing, buying a boat, seeing my family. I'm not going to sit through this PowerPoint and pay attention to anything you've got to say because I'm getting ready to go home with a pocket full of money. And that's, that's the mentality that happens. So you don't pay attention until you come home and you run out of money and you're still living on mom's couch. And now you're like, oh, what do I do now a year later? And now you've got to navigate all these things whether it be education, employment, housing. And there's so many different programs that are out there for veterans that it's it's hard to keep up with them all. So how do you navigate that? You you, you try, you, you have organizations that do this, organizations do that, but oftentimes now that you're in this transition, which often that transition leads to mental, mental support and you're having difficulty with depression or anxiety because you don't know what you want to do, you have this lost identity, which oftentimes lead to isolation, which oftentimes leads to substance use, and you're trickling down a slippery slope. Mm. So we want to catch those individuals really quick. And how do we do that? So Dr. Haney at Syracuse decided, hey, we've got to do a better job because the VA is not doing it. Mm. Not doing it. They've not been doing it well for years. So they started this program at the Institute of Veterans and Military Families in Syracuse. Uh, and they started this thing called America Serves that uh, Colonel Jim McDonough helps run. And that's what started this whole thing. The technology platform, uh, what's funny is, is we talk about tribe, we hire our own. So when they figured out how we're going to do this, how we're going to capture this information and have data help drive change and make this easier for our veterans to, to, to navigate the community, uh, they teamed with a company called Unite Us, uh, couple of veterans from there, Air Force veteran, actually still a pilot in the Air Force, Dan Brillman, had created this uh, this platform as a young startup. And so it's funny how we, 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 we smell our own, attract our own, and we hire our own. Uh, but that's really what's transformed this whole, this whole thing. And that's sort of how it started, and it's just grown expeditiously since then. Ricky, um, what, how did your process of recovery begin? <clears throat> I mean, like, when did that kind of change initially start? Um, and what did you, like, what did you, what action did you take? What did you, what were you doing? <clears throat> Excuse me. The day that I decided I was done, there was multiple factors that played into it. I was living in a, it was called a community super, supervision center. It's like jail, but you can leave to go to work. And um, I, I couldn't stay sober in there. I'm, I'm, I'm bringing narcotics, bringing meth into the facility. And I'm working at this factory. The day that I was to go full time at this job, I took the urinalysis, knowing I had like a month to prepare, to prepare for the drug test, and I failed. Got fired on the spot. I walked out. I walked out of there in tears. I was like, "Man, uh, I'm I'm done with this." I was tired of asking for permission to use the bathroom, for permission to talk to somebody, to walk across. I was just I was sick of giving everybody control over my life. I was sick of giving a a substance control, a substance control over my life. So um, I went to my probation officer and I was like, I said, do you, do you truly care about me and my sobriety? She's like, yeah, I do. And I said, you got to get me the hell out of here. And uh, she let me go to this rescue mission. 
that was that's what got the ball rolling in my life. Um, I got more spiritual. I got to it was just a, it, it was just a, another step up. It was better food, a, a better bed. You know, it was it was, <laughs> it was just small things that just mm-hmm. I kept stepping up. Um, and like I said earlier, uh, while I was there, I crossed paths with my wife now, and um, she it changed my life. It, it was like that. If you, my wife's a very special person and when I met her I knew that I had to change everything about my life in order mm-hmm. for her to in order for this beautiful woman to be interested in me and it's funny I laugh about it now because you know I had I had three changes of clothes to my name I just started gaining a little bit of weight back I had about that much confidence and I really thought I was somebody you know like I said she's got two master's degrees and uh that was probably that was the what got the ball and honestly if I would not have met her I can tell you without a doubt I wouldn't have made it um she mm. she was that uh she she that motivator absolutely um mm-hmm. well i think it's important though i think that it, it it wasn't that easy you had to chase her a little bit ricky oh yeah absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know you had yeah. to you had to prove yourself and yeah. i think that's one of the steps he you know he started being accountable because he saw mm-hmm. something and then now he's starting to become accountable for that mm-hmm. and so i think that's important my, my wife she has she's i've understood through her what communicating was what setting boundaries are mm-hmm. what empathy is and the the most brutal part of my recovery was having her to tell me how I actually appeared to other people, seeing myself through the eyes of others. That was brutal to me because I thought I was cool. I thought I was somebody. I really wasn't. You know, I was not a, I wasn't who I thought I was. And, Total uh, self-centeredness of our disorder. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. uh, that my, my wife's been very beneficial. She broke you down like coleslaw, didn't she? <laughs> we have that effect right. on people, don't we? <laughs> but I think that I think a powerful thing that that I heard that you did is like you went to your probation officer and that brutal honesty. Like, look, I'm bringing, I'm getting met. You're you're facilitating an opportunity yeah. for me to stay high. Yeah. And if you leave me here. I'm going to keep getting high. And Whitney, if you're listening, I appreciate you. We're still, <laughs> we're friends now. Actually. The PO. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, she, uh, mm-hmm. she, I mean, I couldn't stay sober in this facility. It was just like, mm-hmm. you got to get me out of here. But that's, that's the courage, dude, yeah. the, that brutal honesty to go and tell your PO, look like, uh, <laughs> where you've got me is totally like, I'm doing everything I'm not supposed to be yeah. doing in here. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's huge. Definitely a high level of insight into mm-hmm. just like have that, that honesty to come forward and say, mm-hmm. I, I got to do something. This ain't working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, how has it evolved, right? Like, are you involved the recovery process? How has it changed since you met your wife and started? And like, what does that look like as far as like, are you doing 12 step groups, fellowship church? I see you in the gym all the time. I get, I get asked that often. If I go to, if I attend groups and I don't, mm-hmm. um, to be honest with you, I, I'm not someone who wants to hear war stories nonstop. Yeah. Just because I don't want to, I don't want to put my mind back into that. Uh, I'm I've got good support. Um, my wife is amazing support. Um, there's I, honestly I hold myself accountable publicly for a reason. My credibility means everything to me. Um, I know for me I don't I don't have have the mentality uh, a relapse is okay. Okay, and there's a reason Bam. for it. I don't I don't buy into that because. I got two drug charges. Um, I'll lose everything I've got just for making that. If I put in my mind, it's okay if I do it once. So mm-hmm. I do everything that I have to do to uh, stay on top of that. I said my big thing is boundaries. Um, there's still people that I love that's in that life. And even people that I'm peers with, they absolutely, I mean, I'm up front. 
if if you're in your house and there's a needle in your arm, I'm not going to pull it out. I'm not. I can't put. I cannot take that chance for my own recovery for a reason. And um, I'm very stern with that. So that's some of them boundaries you've set. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that you know, just from the outside looking in and knowing what I know about Ricky, if you if you follow him on Facebook, if you see how much passion he puts into his work, I think one of the things that really helps you, Ricky out a lot is. His what he's doing now, this yeah. job, this message this, to the community, his message about himself. I think that really reinforces his recovery, <laughs> and it helps him a lot. Uh, when you just look at him on Facebook, and that's all you got to do. It, it's the accountability. So yeah. I so I took the same pathway, sure. and when I started, I it, I gained a social media following. I started sharing mm-hmm. and doing Facebook lives and all that stuff. And when that accountability came, it was like whoa. Like I want that. I mean, that's what I needed. Sure. That's like what kept me clean. Like people were watching me. Like I couldn't be put depressing things on there when that's I didn't right. feel yeah. good. I couldn't be saying, um, this is a really sucky day, day and yeah. I just want to get high. You know what I'm saying? And I, I like I, I, and, and so not being able to do that made me <clears> think, why am I thinking that? Why do I feel this way? And it allowed me to internally process things instead of just like, doing what we've always sure. done and becoming the victim or, or becoming, you know what I'm saying? Like I put myself on a platform that made me accountable. I had, it's, it's, it's funny you say huge. that I had a, a, a gentleman ask me the other day if uh, my platform helps hold me accountable. And I said, absolutely. I said, mm-hmm. I, I take this very serious. And he said, um, he asked me if I still, do I, do I still drink? And I said, no, cool. I said, no. And I said, listen, I said, uh, do I ever think about it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I said, but I said, and I probably could drink a beer and not tell anybody, but my conscience would kill me. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't have it in me to lie to you. Mm-hmm. And he said, are you saying something's wrong with that? I said, for me, yeah, for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's yeah, your it's life, you. man. Yeah, everybody's recovery is different. And some sure. people can That's still right. engage in certain activities that other people can't. Mm-hmm. But I'm the same way. Like, I can't, I, you know, I could... Marijuana was something that I always missed, mm. but it was like, I can't just go do it. My moral compass, like yeah. it goes against everything I put myself out there to stand for. And I couldn't look myself in the mirror or do those things knowing mm-hmm. that I've put myself out there. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I remember, you know, like having eight months clean and, and being at a gas station one day and I looked up and saw this liquor store that I'd never seen before. I was like, I didn't know what liquor store was right there. And I was like, Oh, I could just, uh, and I was like, dude, I got a lot of people watching me, dude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got a lot of people looking up to me, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then lo and behold, I paid for my gas, and here comes someone from <laughs> NA pulls up next to the car. I'm like, see? That's right. There you go. Yeah. Like, you never know. Yeah. And um, and we just can't do that. And even, you know, I said earlier about, you know, NC Serves and Brandon investing time and, you know, money into me. I, I appreciate that, and that's um, something I take serious. I want to let I, it matters to me to let people down. I want to do good, mm. I and I used to not care about my life or anything else, and now it's just a, I'm a different. I'm not the same person. So, well, yeah. you're the in person you were intended to be. Absolutely, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. Where does the uh, what's the next step for me? Yeah, Brandon asked me this a couple of weeks ago, he said, uh, where do you, he, he, something like, what do you, where do you see yourself at in five or 10 years? And I, and I'm going to be honest with you. I have goals and I have visions, but I know for me personally, I'm not, I, I try not to look too far ahead because I've seen so many people set these long-term goals. They get overwhelmed or they can't see what's in front of them and they get complacent. I just try to take each day as it comes, make the best of it. Um, and I'm like that for a reason. You know, I've, I've seen people um, work their life away 
and never take the time to appreciate it and die miserable. I refuse to do that. You know, I That's mean, right. I can't, I'm not going to sit and lie to you and tell you where I see myself. I'm just uh, along for the ride. And um, I know with Brandon, well, I know with Brandon leading me, um, there's no telling. So, well, you know, he, he, he's humble when he says that, but, you know, you are working toward your CSAC right now. Yeah. So, right. you know, you, you know, so yeah. that's, it, it, he's that's moving in that direction yeah. and he stays humble. And I think that's, that's important in any recovery is you stay mm-hmm. humble and, and live those days like you're doing, but he's moving forward. I, I see big things coming mm-hmm. out of Ricky. I know eventually one day that, you know, I'm going to lose them and, mm-hmm. but I'm not losing them. The community's mm-hmm. gaining another leader that's, that's right. going to be a force multiplier moving forward. So I mean, something, something like this, it's a big deal to me because I mean, I, I on the way here, I almost teared up because I was so overwhelmed. I told my wife, I was like, I accepted that I was going to die, mm. and um, I, I was, I was, I come to terms with that. And now that I'm, I'm five years later, I'm doing this. I never saw me doing this. I never saw me speaking in front of people. I come from that meth life of very paranoid. <laughs> paranoid. <laughs> I do too. Yeah, so. <laughs> So, um, every, every, any, any, any opportunity that I'm given, I, I, I say, yes, I just, I tell Brandon, I, the way I look at it is this, I don't believe in failure. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's one of three scenarios for me. I'm going to show up and do awesome. Ricky could have done better and I'm going to get better. Are they going to say Ricky shows up no matter what? And that's I, right. that's, 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 I, failure, failure to me is not an option. And that's how mm-hmm. I look at it. And I'm going to get, you know, f- fail or excel, I'm still going to get better. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. That's growth. That is growth. And and don't ever discount um, the footwork that you put in. Like you put some footwork in. Like I hear you say some things that are like, you know, well, I don't know what that looks like. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now because I come from a faith-based, you know, Mm -hmm. belief and I I do believe in God and and I am a Christian and I'm going to tell you something right now. And this is real talk and I want you to look back on this when you get it and repost this on Facebook because you will have your license before 2022. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, I know so. Brandon said something to me about it's been a few months ago. He said, uh, "If we get thrown to the was if we get thrown to the wolves, eventually we're going to lead the pack." (laughs) He has a way of saying things that makes you want to run through a wall. (laughs) (laughs) That's that marine stuff. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. I'm sure he's got access to some resources that (laughs) need some legal aid and unwind some of those driving issues. Yeah, you will have it back before 2000. I'm with you on the. on the long-term goals thing, like I come from prior to recovery, I come from like a retail kind of management background. And like, I'd always get in these interviews and they would ask, well, that's one of the questions, where do you see yourself in five years? And I look at them and I'd say, I'm going to have your job. <laughs> right. You're in my seat. That's and right. I, yeah. You're, I don't know, and I would always get the job. And then yeah. sure enough, like five years later, I would be in their, job, in their <laughs> seat. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've learned in, in this process of recovery is that like, I didn't have that clarity back then, you know. I thought that 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 job, that seat, was the final destination, mm. right? And so now, um, in my process of recovery, I came in and I was like gung ho, and I'm gonna go back to school, get my CSAC, uh, get my bachelor's, get my master's. I'm gonna open up my own meditation center up on a mountain up there, and I'm gonna do all these grand things, right? And in doing the um, doing the work, doing the internal, mm-hmm. really like reflection and like s- learning the rediscovery of myself mm-hmm. and learning who I was, these goals change just like I did, yeah. right? And that wasn't really what my dream was. And that wasn't really what I was passionate about. So I'm totally with you that like, it's okay to set like 
long-term goals to have things to work towards, but it's also like even more important to set like achievable short-term goals, you know, reassess where you're at. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I I still really involved with some of the peer support curriculum and we get, I get to teach the veterans module Mm -hmm. that, uh, from time to time. And I think one of the things it makes, you know, with veterans in particular, and even when we're talking in the recovery community is we teach, set them short, small missions, because it's good to have those long-term goals, like you said, but having short, small missions like, okay, what's the number one thing today? If you could improve or you can get better on, what would it be? Well, I want to go to college. I want to graduate college. Well, that's a great goal. What do we have to do today to get there? Let's enroll you. Your, your mission this next two weeks is to figure out what it takes to get admitted and get enrolled. That's a, that's a short-term mission that's achievable in a very short amount of time. So when you go do that, and you achieve that, and you're enrolled now, and now you've got a class schedule, and you know you when you're going to start, hey, that's a win. High five. Let's celebrate that. Woo! Yeah. But you don't stop there. Mm-hmm. What's your next mission? Your next mission is to, is to, is to get all A's or to pass mm-hmm. these next two, three classes this semester. So by setting those small, short goals, you're able to achieve them, which puts wins on the board, which builds your confidence up, Know that you you're keeping on, you're moving forward, and living short term mission to short term mission to short term mission. You're still moving forward. The next thing you know, you've got your meditation center, or that's morphed into something different Absolutely. because of the process itself, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My my big thing also is uh, even the people peers I talk to, and you know anybody I talk to on Facebook. The main thing with any goal is you got to show up. You got to begin mm-hmm. somewhere. Um, fear fear mm-hmm. and doubt has killed a lot of dreams. And um, and also what he was talking about on, you know, long-term goals, I'm fortunate that I have my wife that's helped me to understand what balance is. Mm-hmm. I know for me, I'm a 180 guy. I'm either... I'm either <laughs> all the way in or all, all the way, way out. out. <laughs> and, uh, so I try not to get too consumed with any one thing, mm-hmm. which is beneficial to me. I know me. I mean, I'll mm-hmm. get tunnel vision and I can't see everything around me. And that mm-hmm. affects my marriage. It might affect my marriage or my job, you know, whatever, whatever. So I try to keep mm-hmm. it balanced and not looking too far ahead. So, yeah. And that's, and that's a rough, I mean, that's a, that takes time and growth to find Absolutely. that balance and it takes boundaries. You know what I'm saying? Like you were talking about boundaries that you set because I know for, for me and for so many in recovery, like it's hard to advocate for ourselves. It's mm-hmm. hard to say, no, that's not okay with me. You know yeah, what I'm saying? I'll, because because when I say that's not okay with me, that means that that I'm saying that what I need or what I feel matters more. Mm-hmm. And we're so used to that self degradation yeah. and that and that putting in, and demeaning ourselves and not having any self worth and self value that we it's so hard for us to stand up for ourselves. And mm-hmm. then we feel guilty because I'll, we stood up for ourselves. I'm glad you said that because uh, my friend Josh, if you're listening, he. Um, sent a meme to me the other day and when I referred to iron sharpening iron mm-hmm. what it's what this meme said was if you surround yourself with people who have nothing to lose they'll help you lose everything you have yeah absolutely and um I when, he, when I read that I'm like man that just that was so deep to me because I mm-hmm. used to be that person that would help you lose everything mm-hmm. so um yeah mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm big on boundaries you know and, and I don't mean that as I think I'm above someone oh no but I'm not willing to if you can't meet me in the middle, I'm not willing to just throw all my, everything I've worked for away, yeah. you know. Absolutely, but it's it's that it's that that bridge that we make when we begin to self advocate for ourselves. You know what I'm saying? It was so hard for me to say, sure. This is not okay with me today and to stand up for myself because I was like, 
you know what I'm saying? Like, don't you feel guilty sometimes when you set a boundary? Yeah, but when yeah. you do it, doesn't it also feel just as rewarding? Oh, sure. You're at, like, wow, I just did that. Yeah. yeah. And like, After a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes yeah. a while for it to yeah. be like, wow, I did the right thing for me. And, and like, I'm worth it today. And mm -hmm. like, this is what's healthy for me. And, and, uh, and your yeah. mind will play tricks on you. That oh, thing totally talks, will. that thing talks to you. Have you been back home? <laughs> yes. Um, actually you were speaking earlier about, uh, emailing the WSOL or whatever. WLOS. LOS. Yeah. Since my son's death, I've been home. I Where's went home, home? Missouri, Southeast Missouri. And I love you guys if you're listening. Um, I went home in May. Uh, the local media where I'm from, they broadcast two of my drug, of my drug arrests, okay? Well, I've been making, I've been doing, I've been having this platform on Facebook sharing a lot and, um, I was trying to see how far I could get my story out. So uh, I, I contacted my dad and I said, what would be a good news reporter to contact to see if they'll share my story? And he, he told me Kathy Sweeney and, uh, I made a post on Facebook just to see what would happen. Cause I, I'm not a person that asks for anything. And I said, guys, if you, I never asked you for anything, but could you please, uh, email Miss Kathy Sweeney and, and, and verify to her who I am. Hundreds of people emailed her, and uh, they called me home in May, and done an eight, and then the local media done, done an eight-minute segment over my life, over my bad, oh, the bad stuff and the good stuff. So yes, mm -hmm. I've ret returned home it, too. Dude, eight minutes on the like local news—that's news. That's that's a, a big time. deal. Yeah, that's, that's a long deal. time. A lot of time. You know what's crazy is, is when this opportunity come up, Ricky come to me was like, "Hey." Uh, so I've got this thing, and I just want to make sure it was okay that I go to it. You know, like like I'm going to say no. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and actually, uh, last last month, um, I got to speak at the high school in front of a couple hundred people. That's like all of my that was that was a big deal to me. It was all of my peers, people that saw me, you know, in the good times and bad. I got to speak at a youth rally at a church, and mm. that was the that was the that youth rally was a good experience because it was like little kids, six seven years old. I couldn't be too in depth with them because yeah. they wouldn't understand. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I told them, I said, listen, I, I made some bad choices. I didn't listen to my parents. So I, ended, I ended up locked up and in prison. And they go, tell us what you did. We want to know. <laughs> <laughs> of course. They, did, they wouldn't take no for an answer. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about ABCCM. Oh, yeah. Asheville Buncombe Community Christian Ministry. Because that's kind of like you guys... Or work hand in hand with them or underneath yeah. them? Yeah, so uh, NC Serves is a ministry that is tucked under ABCCM. So out of the 16 America Serves markets, each one of those markets has a uh, coordination center that's housed with a community provider. Uh, ABCCM is that community provider. Uh, what's unique about ABCCM is it is uh, supported by over 280 churches in Buncombe County. Uh, 95 cents to every dollar that is earned there goes directly to direct services. So a lot of the uh, full-time staff that we have are usually uh, funded through grants that we get, whether it be from the uh, Walmart Foundation or Department of Labor or some of the VA grants that we have. Uh, ABC SIM is really unique in the fact that we have four crisis ministries in Buncombe County uh, where you can get uh, help with uh, utility assistance to getting a, a warm meal a day, a hot meal a day, getting clothes, uh, they help. They provide a various number of services, like at a, one of our four locations. Uh, we also have a medical ministry where you're able to get mm. some medical uh, stuff done uh, there in Buncombe County. We also have a, uh, a free pharmacy. Uh, work hand in hand with uh, C356 uh, there at Biltmore Avenue. Uh, we also uh, provide a uh, housing model at the Veterans Restoration Quarters, which is veteran specific. 
Uh, it's a 150-bed uh, facility for transitional housing from crisis and emergency housing all the way up to uh, supportive permanent housing that we have through one of our VA grants. And it's a great program that we have there off Tunnel Road. Uh, we also have a 30-plus uh, bed facility for women, the Steadfast House, which is also in Buncombe County. Uh, and it's also for veterans and for women with children, which makes it really unique. Uh, the the issue with that is is we, we we're always at capacity. We always have a waiting list. So what the churches in and around Buncombe County have done and what ABCCM is doing now is we have broke ground on a uh, a big project. Uh, it's called Transformation Village, which is going to be for transitional housing, permanent supportive housing uh, for the recovery community, as well as for women with with children and families. And we have broke ground on that, and it's going to be over a 300-bed facility up mm. in the, which is a really big thing. Uh, and for for it to be uh, supported by the churches in Buncombe County is a remarkable thing to me. So you have this 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 accountability and you have this uh, uh, you know spiritual side of the house, which I think is really huge in a lot of people's recoveries. And you're able to do that within our facility. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not helping everybody because we do help everybody. Uh, that's the model that we have. And one of the things we talk about in our office is, you know, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. So mm-hmm. we treat everybody with dignity and respect, and we try to put them up as much as we can. But ABCCM is, is, a, is a great uh, model. It's a nation-leading model. I've been fortunate over the last six months to go to to travel the country to Dallas, to New York, to Washington. And when I get in town, I get to tell them who, who our coordination center is and who I work for directly. Uh, they're always like, oh, yeah, we've heard of them. We've talked mm-hmm. to them. We, we love that model. We want to, how do you do what you do? And the reason that is, is our outcomes are really well. When you exit our, one of our housing programs, 94% of the people who leave our programs that receive that case management remain in permanent housing two years after they leave the program, which is unheard of. Uh, our employment programs, 88% of the people who leave our employment programs retain and keep gainful employment two years after they leave the program. Mm. Department of Labor standards are 40%, so we're at 88%. So we're a model that works, and I think a lot of that model is tied to we continue with that person after they exit. We don't just say, here's a job, here's housing, and then we back away. We understand. We fulfilled our obligation. We're out. We don't do yeah. that. We maintain that for you know 12 to 18 months after they exit the program. Long term. Long term, which allows us to keep those wraparound services that mm-hmm. the community is providing through serves. Um, so we understand that six months after being in a home or six months after having employment, things may come up. You may not like your job. You may be behind on your bills because now you're, you're, you're struggling with depression. What do I do now? So we're there with you every step of the way and wrap around those services to keep you supported so eventually you are on your own and we can back away. Yeah. And Steadfast House is phenomenal. Yeah, Angela Phenomenal. And peer support's a big, a big uh, part of both those residential facilities that we have. Uh, you know, Ricky goes into the VRQ uh, once a week and is, is down there, and they also have two other peers that actually live down there, right, Ricky? Yes. Yeah. We were talking before the, the show started, and um, he was sharing a lot of this information with me and hearing a little bit of Ricky's story, and I was just like, it just it so, seems so logical to have services like this everywhere mm-hmm. like what what is preventing a program like what you guys are doing from rolling out nationwide like 
right now. Like, yeah. What? Well, I tell you what makes ABCCM so successful, and it's our approach, our pastoral approach to it, and we're going to do what it takes to support you and to help you and assist you. But it couldn't be done without the volunteers that we get from the community and from the churches. ABCCM last year had 6,000 unique volunteers mm. come through, whether that be for financial counseling, whether that be for peer support, whether that be just being there to listen to your need, fill out a form. When you think about 6,000 employees, that's a lot. We have 6,000 volunteers. Mm. So you think about the economic impact that we have by saving dollars, by having these volunteers come in. And a lot of these volunteers are experts in their field when they retired. So you're getting top-notch care. We're not having to pay for it. And so we're, it's a force multiplier. We, ABCCM couldn't do what they do without the volunteers that we have in the community. Yeah. And, but, I've, and I've engaged individuals in those services and met the volunteers. And they're like so, they're good at what they do. It's mm-hmm. like it's a full-time job. It feels like they're getting paid to do it. They're yeah. so amazing. Well, just I would think that like uh, as successful as they are, that people would volunteer regardless of where you put this model. Correct. Because you're actually um, making a difference. Making a difference. Like direct, <clears throat> like you can experience <throat> it. You see it. The numbers the numbers yeah. justify the services. Well, I'm going gonna, gonna, to say something. Yeah, I'm going to say something here. Um, to just get really raw about it, I think mm. the successfulness that comes from ABCCM comes from, like you said to begin with, the pastoral care. Mm-hmm. It's about the churches. It's about the faith-based. Faith-based. It's about the fact that you all join hands and pray every morning before you mm-hmm. start to work. Yep. It's about it's about the God piece. For me, my understanding mm-hmm. of the success is about the God piece. For one, but for two, it's like when you sit here and ask questions like that, why are we not doing this everywhere? Why are we not um, doing this in the substance use arena? And why are we, you know, disorder and all these um, recovery houses and all, you know, unity. And it's Mm -hmm. like, because that's when it becomes out of nonprofit and into profit and everybody Mm -hmm. wants a piece of the pie and nobody wants to come together and say, this is what we do and this is what we do and this is what we can do and this is what we can do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's the kind of politics of it that makes you're, me you're, uncomfortable you're, because that's like no, you're, the, the truth of the, that's you're just spot the, on. You're spot the truth. On. What, what, what does make changes and what does impact macro changes across state government or federal government is being able to equate those successes to dollars. That I'm being raw. That's where it's at. Yeah. What NC serves has done and the platform that we're using it shows that these outcomes are can be tied to dollars saved. If it takes a licensed clinical social worker 10 hours a week to look for resources, how many people could they have seen in 10 hours? If you mm-hmm. like helping five people, wouldn't you like to help 10? Mm-hmm. So if we're able to save that licensed clinical social worker 10 hours a week looking for resources to help the person they're supporting, and they just put it into the give us four things and put us into a platform that can help, now that LCSW can see 10 more people. Mm-hmm. So now that's been a cost-effective dollar-saving thing that the state can look at mm-hmm. and equate that to dollars. The state realizes that. And a special shout-out to Jeff Smith at Department of Health and Human Services. They've invested over a million dollars into NC Serves across the state Damn. already this year. So it's not a lot. It's a start, but it's a start. So they see the impact of this. They see the change of what we're doing and trying to, and trying to move in that direction. So they've really started to invest financially into this platform, into this project. 
But I think that's the switch that you just hit on. It's about you all look at the finding the money that's saved. Correct. Where these organizations that won't come to the table together look at the money that's made. It's made. Do you understand exactly, what I'm saying? And, that's, and that's exactly right. And that's and, how you've got to frame it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's and that's, that's real talk. But yeah. um, and, and it's hard because what happens is, and and I'm not just like trying to toot my own horn or nothing. Is you have to you you put people in there that are like resource gurus. Like I'm like a, how? like, yeah, like our like, project, like yeah. your project, but in, in the substance use arena, you know, like I work in syringe exchange, mm-hmm. but I have my CSAC and I'm licensed in two States and da, 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 all that stuff. But I use those skills and those relationships I built in, in recovery communities and mm-hmm. in treatment centers to like, I'm, I'm connecting the dots mm-hmm. when I shouldn't be doing that on when my you own. Shouldn't have to. Wouldn't it be nice for mm-hmm. you to say, Ooh, I don't know what to do with this. I'm going to send you here and know it's going to be took care of and mm-hmm. see the outcome and know there's an accountability mm-hmm. piece to that and know you've done that because then I get you back to doing what you do really well. Mm-hmm. Because if you're the best of the best of the best at what you do and I send people to you, that's what we want. If I send to you and you're only 50% because you're doing five other things but that you're mm-hmm. going to do because mm-hmm. you care, mm-hmm. then it's, you're not as effective. And that's mm-hmm. what the project's about. And the difference yeah. is, is more often than not, if you do send, send it out to somewhere you're not going to see the outcome. Correct. Mm-hmm. Rarely do you when mm-hmm. you guys do. Yeah. Or if mm-hmm. you do, you've got to follow up and that yeah. takes time and it's time mm-hmm. away from your, oh, yeah. you know, so what we're able to capture in this platform and how this works is really changing service delivery. Mm-hmm. And it's being tied to, we're trying, well, we are working and there is ways that we're tying that to money and cost savings. Mm-hmm. Does Western North Carolina, the counties that you guys cover, have a typically high population of veterans per capita compared to like the rest of the state or yeah so you know the highest density uh county we have for veterans in the state of north carolina is actually in cherokee and graham county Mm -hmm. very low population uh but when you talk about the people out there you're talking about 12 to 13 percent of that population are veterans Mm uh that's just veterans not family members of veterans Mm -hmm. Uh, that's why ABCCM and NC Serves Western just expanded out there this summer to cover those four Western counties that we weren't previously covering, and now we are covering because we know just because there's a small amount of veterans doesn't make them any less important. And the needs out there are going to be different than they are in Asheville. Mm-hmm. Just from demographics, geographic location, they are going to be different. So we're able to try to assist them a little bit better. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. The needs are going to be different. Mm-hmm. And there's also probably more demand because of like Correct. poverty level. A lot, so and there's the not as many resources. Job opportunities. The, the resources in Cherokee County, Graham County, aren't what they're going to be in Buncombe County. Mm-hmm. Buncombe County isn't going to be what they are in Mecklenburg County. Mm-hmm. So each community has different needs, and that's what makes the America Serves model pretty unique is, is from Texas to Washington to New York, they're individualized and customized with the providers they've got. Mm-hmm. And then how you meet those needs. There's no bus line. There's no cookie There is a bus line in in Cherokee, but there's no bus line in Graham. Mm -hmm. That's that's right. So how do we we get the the people from Graham Mm -hmm. to the bus line? Mm -hmm. Sometimes we piecemeal. You know, one need may be met by three different providers, Mm -hmm. but is that need being met? Yeah, Mm -hmm. sure. It may look ugly on the back end, (laughs) but that's okay. That's part of the work. That's being in the trenches. That's doing Mm -hmm. the work that we're talking about doing here. I think what's phenomenal is that ABCCM is able to get and, and NC Serves is able to get these people to the table. Mm-hmm. Like you've shown yeah. enough, you know, um, 
results to get yeah. people to say, hey, I'm here and, and I want to help. Like you've yeah. got some really strong advocates Correct. out there, yeah. you know, some amazing people that work there. Yeah. So. Well, it sounds like you wear a lot of hats, Brandon Wilson. <laughs> yeah. And the, my question will be is how do you balance your personal well-being with mm. all of this? That's a good question grief and trauma and just this would this would be where my wife would turn off the podcast and don't listen anymore (laughs) (laughs) um i just blocked her from the the page awesome i think it's a struggle it's a struggle with me and it's a struggle with my transition i have uh since i found my calling i've overstretched myself and i overcommit myself a lot and it's because i care and it's because i want to to make a difference in what we're doing for me uh I compartmentalize. The military taught me mm. very well how to compartmentalize. Mm. And it does it does good for me, and I'll tell you why. I'm, I'm a faith-based man my t- myself. I'm a Christian. And so I have my master life group at church that we do Bible study with. And I put them in this box over here, and I keep it right here. Then I have my guys that I work at at the gym with. And I ha- then I have my Marine buddies over here. But I put them all in these different boxes. And what that does for me is because I keep them in boxes. If all of a sudden my life balance is starting to tilt and I'm not going to Bible study anymore, you know who calls me? My little box over here and says, <laughs> why have you been at Bible study? What's going on with you? What's going on? I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to start paying attention to that part of my life because that is important to me. It's a box in my life. So then it stretches back the other way. And then all of a sudden when I'm not spending time with my wife and my kids enough, my wife and my family say, hey, where have you been? I'm about to divorce you. I'm about to leave you. What's going on? And then the box tilts back. So it allows that accountability. It keeps my my tribe is very much compartmentalized. It may not be what works for Ricky. It may not be works for Ginger. But that's what works for me. And I think that's important that, that I share that. That mm-hmm. That's how I balance this act. And sometimes it's ugly. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's messy. Mm-hmm. But that allows me to get keep people keep me in check from the boxes that I have. Yeah. And it's also like, I think, based off of what you've shared this evening, it's almost like because you're connecting the boxes in your professional life, mm-hmm. you're compartmentalizing them in your in personal, personal life. life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm a huge advocate about discovering what works for you, right? Yeah. Like your recovery process, Ricky, you, you do what you do. You set boundaries, <clears throat> you exercise, and you, you know, share things with your wife and you have mentors like Brandon um, I myself take a non-traditional approach, and but I found out what works for me. I'm glad you mentioned that because right. that's something I touch on often, especially within recovery. Is I tell people there's no best program. I mean, we're all, we're flawed people. You know, there's everything's going to have a flaw to it. Find what works for you. You have to start somewhere. It's like anything, anything, any part of my life. It could be diet, a workout, recovery, any approach I have. I mean. I just begin and I understand that that might not be what works best for me. And that's like with recovery also. And I hear people say, all you have to do is this. Um, it's, it's simple. You know, it's, it's very misleading and it's not the way it, I mean, it takes work. I mean, anything worth, worth something and success mm-hmm. is going to take some work. Dedication. Well, I think for so long in the recovery community, you have these silos. This is what mm-hmm. works. This mm-hmm. is what works. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things that I think the recovery community has learned and is doing very well now is, is, you know, you got to look in the mirror first. If we can't get along in our community first and, and come to the realization that recovery is different for everybody and no exact journey is going to be right or wrong or indifferent, we have to understand that first here before the community and the people mm-hmm. on the outside 
understand it and we can communicate that effectively on the outside. But I think if we do that and we're able to use the same language and we take people and meet people where they are, Mm -hmm. I think that it could be world changing and life changing. I think a part of it is just like our just human condition because like how often does like, so, you know, everybody's finding something like you get something that works for you. And then it's like, that's the, you're rigid. That's the only way the best diet. I'm on the Mm -hmm. keto diet. I'm on this diet. I'm on that diet and I'm vegan and I'm this and I'm that. Because we like it, we're experiencing the results of Correct. those actions, and we're not open to these other perspectives. Mm-hmm. It's out of fear. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I see it a lot. Um, when somebody, when something's working for someone, they may, you know, we, a lot of times we can see someone else, and we know what will work for them, and we want to sometimes impose that on them, impose yeah. that change, or impose mm-hmm. sobriety on them, and all that does is pushes them farther yeah. away. You know, yeah. that's something they have to find on their own. And I'm know? totally guilty of it in early well, yeah. recovery myself. It's like mm. I got this meditation piece, and I was like, it like it brought me freedom. And I'm like, mm-hmm. come on, guys, like come and meditate that. with me. It is the uh, most amazing thing ever. And there was a lot of resistance to mm-hmm. that. You know. It's, mm-hmm something different mm-hmm. and people say i can't meditate or this and that and i was just like what do you mean like what's wrong with you guys come <laughs> on let's yeah. do it it works and then now i sit at this table because i've allowed I, i've recognized that mm-hmm. and i've allowed my point of view to evolve and now i sit at the table with somebody different every single week yeah. every monday night somebody from a different walk of life mm-hmm. sits down and talks to me. Yeah. Whereas two or three years ago, mm-hmm. that door would have never even mm-hmm. been open. Correct. We wouldn't be having this conversation. Recovery always. Because I was <laughs> I was holding on to these fixed views mm-hmm. because it brought me the freedom. Yeah. I expected it to work for everybody. And so as a peer support, what I've done is, so I was the NA Nazi. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Well, he was. I know. <laughs> I, just kidding. You better stop. Like I sat in a refuge recovery meeting. Just chill out. <laughs> but that's what I was trying to say is, um, so being that Nazi, like, and as my recovery's evolved and I got my CSAC and I started working in the field and all that stuff and becoming exposed to stuff, like, so I started exposing myself to stuff that was totally outside of my pathway, mm-hmm. totally outside of my box, totally outside of, like, what I thought would even remotely work for me, mm-hmm. just so that when I met somewhere they, someone where they were at, I could say, well... Like even just today, like, well, have you tried refuge? I don't like the word mean. Why well, have you tried refuge recovery? You know, and I could tell mm-hmm. them because I went and had that experience. I yeah. could tell them what that looked like, yeah. you know, or I could tell them, you know, hiking, like I've done some hiking you and did. I've done some running <laughs> oh. and, um, you know, just different things that were not my niche, not mm-hmm. my comfort factor, but just to be able to meet people where they are and say, well, have you, have you ever tried this? And, and I can't, I don't believe that I can offer that if I can't say what that looks like or, or share that experience with them, yeah. even if it didn't work for me. And so when we talk about that, I kind of want you to touch for just a minute, Brandon, on um, what that looks like in veteran peer support. When you teach that at peer support training, you talk a lot about how to address a veteran and how to um, empower, you know, not necessarily empower them, but to show respect to them and to speak mm-hmm. their language. We talk so much about the recovery language and meeting people where they are. How do people that are just mirror peer supports and haven't been exposed to veterans meet veterans where they are in that world? 
I think it's important that we talked about it here today, tonight, is is being honest. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're a veteran and you've served and you bore that uniform, automatically there's a, a wall that doesn't exist between me and Ricky because we we both serve. We understand that that culture. We get that. So for people who don't don't have that 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 connection, how do you how do you form that connection with someone? And I think it's being honest, is being sincere. Hey, I didn't serve. I have no idea what it's like to serve. I never went through boot camp, but I'm glad that you served and I appreciate your service. I want to know a little bit more about that. How difficult was that? How hard was that? What was that like? Is being honest about that and being sincere to see if they want to talk about their military time. And if they do, then that's great. Then they'll open up to you and they'll talk about their service and you stay engaged. But that's all becoming, you you, you form that trust, that connection. Um, you know, you meant you said something a while ago that really hit me was meeting people where they're at, and that's something that we've really started paying attention to. Is too often times we have someone that comes in who's struggling with substance use, and they're homeless. And too many times we're like, well, first thing we got to do is get you get your substance abuse took care of first. We got to get that, and then we'll work on the housing. When they've come to us for housing, I think meeting them where they're at and saying there's no judgment. We know we we got these other things we got to work with, but you come to me for housing. Let's figure out what we can do to address the housing need. What's the next thing? Employment. And we know you've got a substance use problem, but and you you've told us that, but that's not something you want to address right now. You want to address your housing and employment. So we meet them where they're at with no judgment, with complete respect and dignity, and go okay. Let's work on your housing and employment. And what we're finding out is is once you form that connection and that trust, and they're saying hey, you met me where I'm at, I'm housed, you're helping me with a job, I trust you, let's work on this on my substance use now. Let's, and get, to work. let's yeah. get to work now because we've got that connection and trust and we've met them where they're at with no judgment. And we're finding out that that's not cookie cutter either. Now, a lot of clinicians will say, no, we've got to address this first. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe in the clinical world, but what we're finding out in the real world is meeting them where they're at sometimes is, is really important and we're having a lot of success in meeting them where they're at. Now, I'm not saying that every case is identical, but we are finding out there's more than one way to address that. And so oftentimes with veterans is meeting them where they're at with no judgment. Is It seems to be working a lot better, particularly with the veterans uh, population. When somebody's just in a mode of survival, it's hard to uh, be optimistic and be positive. So just having that little bit of we're not judging you, we care about you, just it's mm-hmm. just small steps. Well, I think a big part is that, like, especially for uh, the average civilian, like, they're, they're, they feel like they're, they will walk on eggshells and they won't know how to have that conversation that you just described mm-hmm. and have, how to show that sincere, genuine interest. You know, it, it was funny, and Ginger, you and Ricky have seen this. A lot of the my peer support trainings that we do with the veterans, at the end of the thing, we've talked about this, we've talked about numbers, we've given them ideas on how to communicate better with veterans, mm-hmm. asking them about their service, maybe asking them their rank and calling them out mm-hmm. by their rank really mm-hmm. helps one yeah. of those things because it resonates that, the, that they are part of this thing that's, that was bigger than them and that gives them that confidence they once had. But what's what's funny about it, we go through this whole spiel and at the end of the thing, I, I, I said we're going to do a role play. And I'll turn around and I'll put my my fatigues on, my jacket that I used to wear in the Marine Corps, mm-hmm. and I'll put it on and I'll, buck, I'll button it up and I sit in a chair and I pull up to everybody and I sit there and I say, okay, I'm a veteran who's come to you and I need help. What what's, gets me every time in most of the classes is, is this blank stare and this fear of, oh, shit, what do I do now? Because 
he's put a uniform on. And the messaging that I've got is veterans, even though we have these nuances, even though we have these small tidbit things that makes us unique, we are no different than you or you at all. We have the same insecurities. We have the same anxieties, the same things that go on through us as everybody else does. Just because we put a uniform on and, and did what we did doesn't make us any more or less human than anybody else. And it's, it's, it's really unique. And you've seen it, Ginger, and you have too, Ricky, that it changes the whole dynamic. And it's the, you're the same dude that they were just talking to. Same dude I was just talking to. But as soon as I put the uniform on, yeah. all of a sudden there's this change. And it's all about because I have this thing on me now that's like a label. Yeah. It puts the stigma on me that I'm a different person now. And, I, I, and I've been there with him. And and I'm and I've been the person in the room looking at that uniform, going, "Oh God, how do I do this the right way? Yeah. You know, how do I do this with that?" I think the biggest fear for people that engage veterans is, "How do I do this without? How do I do this respecting them without disrespecting them?" Mm-hmm. Or um, my biggest fear is. Um, opening a can of worms that they're not ready to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like like taking them to a place that they don't want to go to. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like we talk in, in peer support is you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And anybody that does this line of work, anybody that's in that line of work, you have to try. And you don't know until you try. You've got to have a beginning's place. Ricky talked about it. You've got to start somewhere. If I ask Ricky about his time in the military and he gets mad and cusses and cuts me off, I now know my boundary of what I'm not going to bring back to the table at this time because he doesn't want to talk about that. But how would I know that? It would be better for me to ask him and know that than bounce around on eggshells for the next 30 minutes trying to figure stuff out. Bottom line, thank a veteran for their service. Be sincere about that. Uh, and then open up that, 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 that conversation to say, hey, I'm just like you. I have the same insecurities, the same anxieties, the same recovery I, i'm in transition myself is finding that connection to talk to them and once yeah. you find that trust then you know you can move forward just like you kind of we talked about earlier with recovery it's it's unique to the individual mm-hmm. um i had a close friend retired army like 20 years in the army and he's about your age and he came back to school after he retired and he got into our program yeah kind of human services, substance abuse. And um, we bonded almost immediately over football, right? Perfect. We started talking football. And that conversation led to the conversation that you introduced earlier. How do you want, how do you want us, how do you want me to address this? How do you want to talk about this? And he was like, and he, he's been on the podcast. He came on last May, mm-hmm. Jamie Pendergrass. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, Steve, he was like, being in the army is all I've ever known. Everywhere I go, yeah, I get pointed out as that there's Jamie, you know, army service member or whatever. That's him. That's, that is my identity. I'm ready to leave that part behind me now. Mm-hmm. I want to be seen as Jamie the father. I want us to be seen as Jamie, the corrections officer at Macon County Jail now. I'm ready to like leave that, leave that phase of my life behind me and be seen as the person that I am and not as this facade mm-hmm. or this, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. this character that they 
the, yeah. the civilian sees. I want to mm-hmm. be just a, a person again. I and, did my time. Yeah, and I think it's what we as a community need to do a better job of is not treating our veterans like they're something completely different. Honoring them and giving them the respect that they've earned because the the vows that they took and what they did, that's fine. But we need to do a better job of integrating them back into society, mm-hmm. not just into the VA where they're siloed out mm-hmm. and, and they're kept separate. I think that integrating them back into the community and making sure that we're supporting them and giving them the skills they need to be productive in the civilian sector is what we should be doing more of. Uh, And that's what we're trying to do with NC services is doing more of that into the community. And that's something you teach in that, Mm -hmm. in that class is about how, you know, that's how they identify themselves. Mm -hmm. That's their entire identity. And and Mm -hmm. they struggle with the transition coming back, losing that identity. But then when they make the transition, they gain a new identity. Correct. We need to be willing to to acknowledge that identity. It's just like in recovery. Mm-hmm. We get to reinvent ourselves. That's right. And when we become that reinvention, I am no longer seen. I, I hear you talk about, you know, being a person of conviction. And, and I addressed myself for a long time as a two-time convicted felon. And now I just say, you know, I'm a person who has, um, you know, has prior convictions. And um I'm not that person anymore, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I remember when I first got into the field and got all my credentials and I used to wear high heels because <laughs> I had to dress the part. Yeah. So I felt the part because I knew internally who I thought I was, but they didn't know that. That's not what they saw. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And, and, and until I bought into the fact that I deserved and, and who I truly was and was mm-hmm. meant to be, yeah. then I still identified myself and they don't even want to be identified that way anymore. You know, respected, yeah. honored on days like today, Memorial Day, but not identify when once they reinvent themselves back into society, reintegrate, mm-hmm. they need to be seen mm-hmm. for who they truly are. Yeah. And you're Brandon Wilson. Yeah. You're not just staff sergeant or yeah. isn't that what you were? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you're Brandon Wilson. Yeah. So, many, many parallels between the two experiences. Most definitely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Even like learning that more just by having this conversation with you guys tonight for the average person who might come across this podcast in any way how can they get involved in the work that you're doing how can they help how can they contribute yeah like what are the where are the opportunities uh well first off is is being that ambassador in the community uh a to not throw judgment on the people that you run across uh have a conversation. Thank them for their service. If you're looking to make a difference, you can always contact us at ncserves.org. There's a way on our website. You can just send us a contact form and say, hey, I want to help. I want to volunteer. You know, whatever capacity you're looking for, uh, because we're always looking for more providers in the community that are providing specific services. Uh, There's always a need for more social enrichment options, whether it be learning how to play a guitar, whether it be fly fishing in the river in the Tuckaseegee, because we know there's different avenues to that social enrichment piece. If you're a legal provider, an education provider, we're always looking for that, and we're looking for people who are doing things in the community that are benefiting both families and their and their and, and veterans and their families. So that's a, that's a way. Reach out to us at ncserves.org. You'll see a contact form for NC Serves Western. Have them give us a call. That's probably the easiest thing than me giving you a bunch of numbers and emails and addresses. Just ncserves.org. And you can uh, give us a shout, and we can put you to serving in ABCCM's kitchen, or mm-hmm. uh, volunteering as a as a counselor, or, or 
you know, if you want to write a check, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever capacity that you want to be able to serve in. But I think the biggest thing is, is being that ambassador, being the change in the community you wish to see. And it all starts with who you are. And, and if you see a veteran, thank them for their service, particularly not just today, but tomorrow at Christmas, March 13th. There's no day that we shouldn't thank a veteran for their service and say, hey, I appreciate what you did for me. November 10th. November 10th, Marine Corps birthday. That's right. And so how do we follow you on social media? Uh, it's Ricky Johnson Jr. Pretty, pretty simple. <laughs> uh, have, you re- have you reached the 5,000 maximum yet? No, I, I was accepting a lot of friend requests. And the uh, the term, the more friends, the more problems. I'm not a political guy. I try to avoid all that. And this, the more people that I was accepting, the more chaos came with it. And, I'm, and uh, Facebook is a platform to me. And I was starting to... Other people's lives was stressing me out just reading it, and I just I started just ch- the chopping block. So I got like I have like twenty five hundred friends on there. Is that the only place? Facebook? Yes. No Instagram. No, no. Twitter. Um, I I need to get a LinkedIn account uh, yeah. for work. But you ever yeah. do any writing? Because you're a professional now. Do I do writing? You ever done any writing? I Facebook has been a diary for me. Yeah. I, I put a lot on it. I'm and uh, Facebook has been one of those things that my wife had to reel me in a little bit in the beginning she's like listen you're putting too much time into this but um as crazy as it sounds facebook has been a huge support for me just that that uh accountability public accountability people that you know they reach out to me or um they they uh, pay attention to what i say it makes me feel like i'm doing something right it's it gave me a lot of worth honestly I, i was able to use it for something positive so Yes, Facebook. That's where you can find me at. And that was a conversation that we were kind of having before the show. Is like, how do we use these tools in a way that will influence positivity, positive change, and that sort of thing? And to see somebody like yourself doing it, um, just just phenomenal, man. Just amazing. Appreciate it. I totally would like get into like uh, blogging. Like oh, get yeah. your own like web yeah, his, so uh, for you. and create your own blog. Yeah. Uh, his, his writing skills are on his performance improvement plan. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a way. It's a way to do it. But, it, but his hold wife, that accountability. His see? wife has a double masters. Doesn't and she does. critique everything before you send it? <laughs> not really. <laughs> You're not utilizing her strengths. I know. What um bef- like I don't want I don't want to go too much detail because you uh, Kevin will be on, but let's just kind of like touch on the Veterans Corps just a little bit. Okay. We didn't, we kind of skirted over that at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, He's trying to be humble and not take his glory. Yeah, but, but you I, have your own position. You there. have your own position and you have your own experience mm-hmm. being in there and seeing what it's like. Yeah, Both and, of you guys. And really not, like I said, not to steal the thunder uh, from Kevin because uh, he's going to be on in, uh, I think in the next couple weeks or something mm-hmm. and uh, he'll be able to really elaborate on that. But uh, Veteran Treatment Corps started in Buffalo, New York and it's like any uh, other specialty court that's out there and it's, a, it's really allowed to give... Uh, people of uh, these low offense, non-felony, non-violent offenses, a second opportunity. And Veteran Treatment Court is specifically that for veterans that uh, that have a, anything other than dishonorable discharge. So if they have a, uh, you know, non-violent, non-felony offense that uh, can be addressed, Treatment Court allows them to be a part of the court. It's intensive uh, case management to see mm-hmm. what that looks like. And 
they have a, a team of people at the treatment court that really uh, come together to support that individual, members of the community, from uh, behavioral health clinicians to nonprofits. They all have, there's a, a leadership team at treatment court. Ricky is a part of that leadership team, as is my senior co- care coordinator, Jessica. And so they, they meet and they talk about each individual's case and where they're at and what they're doing. And if they're not going to uh, their group, if they're not uh, checking in when they're supposed to, if they're not doing the things that they're supposed to be doing in the court, then they can pull that lead a little bit tighter, that leash a little bit tighter, and they have that support of uh, the judge in Buncombe County to sort of pull on that a little bit harder. Uh, what that allows them to do is is really come out of where they're at. Maybe they were at because they had a substance use or they were struggling with transition or struggling with PTSD, and that's what got them to where they're at now. So it's given them a second chance to, to come through that on the other end with no charge, no offense or a mm-hmm. lesser offense, and set them up for uh, success when they leave the court. Uh, and so Ricky really is a, is a mentor on that court, and that's really where he's found his niche in the community to impact a lot of lives. But you get to advocate for people sure. just like you and to change mm. their outcomes. Um, I've, I've got a, oh, that's so awesome. I've, I've got three veterans now that I enjoy working with a lot. Um, the veteran that one of the veterans that I work with, we had the, a graduation about a month ago, and the graduation was it was amazing. Well, Dion, he's. Uh, very musically inclined and he was asked to sing the national anthem and um uh i was i I found his video on facebook and i was able to share it for him it's got like almost 1500 views now and it had 20 when i found it but just being able to play a part and you know what brandon's done for me i'm getting to do for somebody else now so it's been a Oh, yeah, I'm about to boost that. <laughs> I get about 13K. She gets, she gets excited about yeah. Facebook videos. Man. Well, just nice. so we know, you know, I have the highest hits on NC <laughs> Raw, 6.7K. Yeah. She does. Yeah. She totally does. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate both of you guys' service, both um, both in the in the service and what you're doing in our community. Um, it's just so needed. I don't know. I don't know that it's recognized enough. Mm-mm. You know, had we not had like kind of like personal connections and seeing you at like one of the speaking things, like I don't know. I just I keep going back to like mm-hmm. why isn't this just rolled out? Yeah. My mom. My mom works at the VA down in Tampa, Florida, um, and I just hear like stories, you know, mm-hmm. on the regular, and I just like why isn't it like hearing Everywhere. this like inspirational work and the success and like. Mm-hmm. The cost saving and all the things that you described to me tonight—it's like it's phenomenal. Wh- who's dropping the ball? <laughs> I just don't get it. Well, it's it's changing the culture and it's yeah. changing the way we do business. And, doing and, that. and it's not a jet ski. You can't just turn on a dime and yeah. go the other direction. We're in a big Titanic ship, and so it takes time to mm-hmm. to shift that. And I think as long as we stay on the path and we keep fighting in the mud together and working as a community together, then we'll eventually we'll get there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I would love to do something with you guys again in the future. You know, um, I, I would extend an invitation to both of you, like at any time. Like Ricky, absolutely doing those videos, man. <laughs> you feel the need to just like go on a rant with me? <laughs> All you got to do is hit me up, and I can set this equipment up in about thirty minutes, dude. Um, even if it's just me yeah. and you. Like today, actually, it was the first time we did this. It was kind of fun. Um, we did the whole two-hour podcast. And um, Mary Ferrari, Mary Ferrari mm-hmm. left, and me and Caleb just like sat there in the chair still, 
with the not Facebook on or nothing on, mm -hmm. but the recorder still recording. Yeah. And we talked for like 40 minutes of just like shooting that, shooting the shit. It's just yeah. about like planning nice. and brainstorming. And like after we were done, I was like, oh man, I'm going to save it. I'm going to put it in the vault and save mm -hmm. it for like a day that we don't record or save it for, mm -hmm. you know, just down the road stuff, like to go back and relive it. But what I'm getting at is I'm totally yeah. down to do that at any mm -hmm. time Absolutely. because I think awesome. that like, and the cameras are turned off and things like that. Yeah. I never wanted to do it. Let me set the record straight. <laughs> I know, right? I never wanted to do a Facebook video podcast. Anything. <laughs> I just wanted to do a podcast. Yeah. I just wanted to sit down behind a microphone, talk, and send it out to the web. And if people download and listen, then they do. But what we learned is that people want that visual. People want to yeah. see it. People want to engage. People want to do that. That's yeah. just the world that we live in. Oh, yeah. I don't get to decide, yeah. you know, so totally down to sit down with either one of you guys or maybe come out and hook up on. Well, hey, well, I, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. I mean, you're you're communicating that message in, in mm -hmm. a way that people are listening and are tuning in. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, you, you're to be commended on what you're doing here with all this all this equipment and taking time on your Mondays to do this. I think it's it's part of what you're part of the solution. You're part of what we're trying mm -hmm. to do. So, uh, you know, you should be committed. And we appreciate yeah. even being able to be here. We He's need more amazing. collaboration. Yeah. Doing what you guys are doing and bridging those gaps and bringing people in. Like, we need more of that. And that's like, mm -hmm. that's a part of the vision and the reason why I did this. Because yeah. it's so rural and because there's just, there's, there's, good stuff happening in our backyard that we don't know about. Correct. Mm -hmm. like, uh, Brandon wanted to sing before he left also. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you yeah. want me to pull up a, you need a beat? You want to yeah. pull yeah. something up for you? No, do not <laughs> flip me a beat, okay? okay. <laughs> you can pull something up real quick. It man. won't be good. Your okay. podcast <laughs> likes will go way down, okay. buddy. Okay. <laughs> uh, again, I appreciate you guys' service. Um, anything that this program can do to help promote events, Things awesome. that you guys Thank are you. doing. Always share. You got my yeah. email address. Yeah. Just well, shoot it over. I'll, I'll mention it. something right now. December the 5th at the Veterans Restoration Quarters in Asheville, we are having NC Services having their one-year anniversary and in-progress review. Awesome. So there'll be something that'll be on Facebook on that, on NC Service Facebook page. Ricky will probably put it on his page as well. Uh, but anybody that's in the community that wants to learn more about what we're doing and see the outcomes of what we're doing, more than welcome to come by. We'll have you. Well, and then also know that Stephen always goes remotely. So when yeah. you do events, when you have, yeah. um, you know, any kind of uh, events you've got going on, any kind of things you've got going on that you yeah. want some publicity from or you yeah. want it to be out there or you want him to do interviews during the yeah. um, interims, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. He, he comes to the table. Well, Brandon left out the most important part of December 5th. It's my birthday. So. Oh, yeah. Bam. Hell yeah. There we go. I'm not singing happy birthday right now, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you have to. Um, it was funny. He, he was cracking me up this morning when I saw that the Facebook video that he posted. And he was like, all right, everybody, listen up. He's like, <laughs> 7 p.m. tonight. Did you see it? No. He was like, all right. It was first thing this morning. He was like, all right, everybody, 7 p.m. tonight. Stop what you're doing. Go to the NC Raw podcast. That's what I'm talking yeah. about right there. He was like, stop what you're doing and get on there. Nice. I'm going to be on there. So, yeah, it was awesome. Uh, I had a ton of fun. You guys are phenomenal. If you beat again, me in ratings, we'll I'm going to I'm gonna just <laughs> stroke out. Thank you guys for listening to NC Raw, North Carolina Recovery Always. 
We want to thank today's musical contributors, Rival, whose work can be found by searching Rival727 on YouTube, Facebook, and SoundCloud. You can visit our website at www.ncraw.life and subscribe by dropping your email in the little subscription box to receive all of our work uh, before we release it to the general public. We send it out to the subscribers about almost 24 hours before it gets released to the general public. And a little public service announcement, NC Raw is looking for some interns. There's a lot of moving parts back here that I've had to kind of like take on and we want to expand what we're doing. So uh, if there's anybody out there who comes from like an IT tech world, specifically somebody who is into web or app design, shoot me an email at steve, ncrawsteve at gmail.com. I want to connect and uh, work on building an application. So thank you guys for tuning in. Good night, y'all. Thank you.